Hello, welcome to the Knowledge Panel, episode 20. And today we're talking about UX and SEO and how the two go hand in hand, or do they go hand in hand? With me today, I've got a fantastic panel again, Helen, Chris, and Isla. Um, Welcome to the Knowledge Panel. Thanks very much for coming in, guys. I really do appreciate it. Uh, why don't we start by uh, getting everyone to introduce themselves. Uh, Isla with the cat. Bring the cat in. Say hello to the cat. And uh, that's brilliant timing, Isla, every single time you come on the show. Hi, my name is Ayala. I'm the Search Partnership Director at Reflex. And I've been doing SEO for the last 12 years. And this is my cat, as expected. She's showing up now. <laughs> brilliant. Thank you very much for coming along. Uh, and uh, Chris, tell us about yourself. Who are you and where do you come from? Hi, I'm Chris Green. I'm a senior SEO consultant at Talk Partners. And I'm also technical director at Footprint Digital. Um, but it's just a, a tinkerer, SEO tinkerer by trade. Tinkerer. Terrible. Okay, Helen. How are you? Tell us about yourself and where do you come from? Hello, I'm Helen. I am uh, SEO and uh, commerce experience lead at GIFGAF. And, and I, 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 I mixed you two up as well because I kind of I, I, I wrote them down the wrong way around. So just before the show, I apologize, Helen, for saying you're from Reflex and Ayala from, from, from uh, you know, the, the wrong way around. But anyway, thank you very much for coming on the show. Just leaves me uh, to talk about my pointless friend, David. Uh, sorry, David. Thank you. <laughs> it's my favorite my favorite show. Every five o'clock, as soon as I get out of uh, work, I go and see Pointless. Uh, my producer, David, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, so, David, uh, what have I done? What have I messed up uh, apart from that? introduction um referred to random cats for audio listeners which is uh <laughs> particularly <laughs> random for audio listeners but that that's okay okay <laughs> i'm having the best uh the best day so far i do do apologize okay uh right uh so so guys let's just jump straight into it and uh ux and seo if if we don't have anybody, if people don't have time to be here for uh, the whole, you know, whole show, uh, and there's one thing that you think people should take away uh, about UX and, and SEO, what kind of nugget should they take away? Chris, why don't I start with you? Give us a nugget for everybody. Yeah, so my nugget there is um, is thinking about the intent and the action that someone's trying to complete. And in that, it's the, the, the journey starts from the SERP. It doesn't just begin on the website. Um, and when we talk about user experience and how do we fix that, very often, you know, journey mapping, design, typical UX starts on the website, whereas actually most people's journey and their, their needs starts way beyond that. So it's actually getting the mindset of the user and even try and think of them, where are they, almost pre-search engine, if you can. And then that you'll understand what they're trying to do and what they'll need to achieve it. And then all of the other things you can put around it. I'll come back to journey mapping at some point. I think that's an interesting thing to uh, to challenge you on. It's easier said than done, I reckon. So, uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll come back into that one. Uh, Ayala, what what about your uh, your tip, golden nugget? This is not my phrase, so let me be clear. But I've loved it when I've said, it, and it's very much thinking. Don't put something out there that is unless it matters to you and your audience. So pretty much think about your audience. And it does link with what Chris is saying is think about what they're looking for. Think what about what they want. Don't just do things for the sake of doing for the sake of doing things. And because Google wants content and ABCD, do it because it really matters. Don't just put waste there. I like that one. Don't put out waste. That's useful. Helen. Uh, what would you take away your your nugget? What will I will say? Links 
completely with Ayla and uh, Chris. I would say to understand your uh, user pains, do a lot of research, and uh, this will improve your website health, uh, improve conversion rates, and uh, improve your rankings. So understand what the user wants, where they want to to go what they want to buy from your website. Okay, so let's uh, thanks very much. So these 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 are ideas. So you're all kind of uh, sort of moving in moving in the same direction. I guess that would uh, that would be obvious from from UX experts like yourselves uh, and intent being the whole idea. Um, it's interesting. Just just last week or a couple of days ago, uh, Google came out with a, a new video on. Um, uh, Bert and how important it was for Google to understand the little words as they put in the video, you know, the ofs and the on and and these kind of things because it changes the meaning of of the content on the page. So they were very much talking about uh, about how the little words can make a big difference, and I, and I guess uh, that can make a big difference to 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 understanding the user intent as well. So how do you how do you um, see things like BERT and MUM and those kind of algorithms playing into the, the history of how Google has been trying to move from just uh, just sort of uh, text um, and engrams and just understanding, you know, words to understanding meaning. I don't know who to bring in first on that one. Who wants to jump in? I think the importance of it, and we've learned this for a while, is that you know, search is difficult. Understanding what someone's trying to do and trying to achieve is really tough. Um, and I think the nuance in any piece of content, in any query, suddenly becomes really super important to getting someone you know the fullness of, of where they're trying to go um you know engrams or just kind of taking apart a piece of text and saying well it has this many words um based on the words and where they are we think this piece is slanted towards x that might be correct but being able to then match that to a user in a way that will fulfill their journey is really really challenging um and i think that you know <laughs> From an SEO point of view, it was quite easy to rank for content, even if you didn't know an awful lot about the subject, because you just had to fill a word with pages that overlapped with the queries that people might be searching for. Um, and I think now that's the, where we're seeing we're not we're not always there yet, but where we're seeing is um, you know content is being recognised for being authoritative um, for the people writing it to being experts in the subject, but that it actually makes sense and also it matches with the broad consensus. Of, of knowledge anyway, drawing a knowledge vault and that kind of thing. So I think the factual accuracy, um, they're far better at judging the, just how complete, how well-written is that topic is getting easier to judge. But um, are you really an expert or are you, you know, are you an outsourced content resource that's just being fed kind of keywords to put onto a page? And I, I think being able to identify those differences at key points in the cycle, that's, that's absolutely key. But if you're the user, like consuming that content, that absolutely is better for you because you're actually reading stuff that is, you know, actually informative and useful. So, Ayla, you, you, um, Chris just sort of talked there about how, how you know, just taking the words that you that that, that you know in, in sort of in in order um, doesn't work so much anymore. You know, why why is that? Why do you think? How do you think Google has made that leap from you know, just just understanding words to understanding meaning? I think it all comes down to what we've been saying. So in the end, Google, their, their objective is to to, as it were, to provide the most useful content to the users. So 
Google's end is actually to say like, okay, I have a user with a need and I have a lot of companies that can solve that need. Which one can solve that need the best? So I think it, it all comes down to that. So before it was quite hard for us to find our solution to the need that we had. And Google was trying to find that gap. And this is how they're doing it, by trying to understand the intent. Because when we're looking for uh, how to get a visa for the US, so a lot of times, if, if you're from Spain, for instance, that would be the sentence you're looking for. So a lot of times Google would come back saying how to find visas for Spain when you're from the US, when you're actually on the opposite. So like now they're trying to understand exactly what you want. And instead of sending you to the Spanish government website, they're sending you to the visa center in the US. So that's why it's so important for Google. They're finally closing that break, that gap that they had before with the user needs in the end to find the solution. Which which I guess is why they have to spend, you know, uh, which is why we have to spend so much time and Google is spending so much time understanding the what, what the user is typing in before they've even decided what kind of sites to, 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 to go to. So, uh, so does that mean that uh, that uh, UX SEO is, is all about understanding uh, questions, uh, what questions people are asking now? Um, or is it, uh, is it about, um, yeah, is, is that what we're looking for? Are we no longer looking for I want to rank for this keyword. It's I want to answer this question. Uh, it depends where you are in the where the user is in in their kind of in their journey. Um, you know, working in some really heavy sort of transactional commercial intent space. You know, ecom people aren't really well at the part of the funnel we're optimizing for at the moment. People aren't asking questions. People know exactly what they're looking for. They need they want a particular item in a particular color, and they're just literally browsing or refining sort of on that final kind of stage. So. They, they've already asked those questions. Now, those pages, those money pages that we are optimizing for that people are going to finish their journey on, hopefully, they're not full of questions. You know, they are demonstrating that we have the product, it's in the right size, it's in the right color, it has fast shipping, that the user satisfaction is guaranteed, all of those kind of buying signals. Um, whereas, you know, the you there is a space for those questions, the what is, the why can I's, or the comparative, or the top 10 of said item. But I think they fulfill very different parts of that funnel. And I think the difference now, relative to, say, five years ago, is you wouldn't be putting questions in if that landing page was at the end of the journey. You'd probably be doing it towards the start, and you would actually provision for that. Ayala, how do you how do you find that user intent in the first place? How do you, how do you define the start of that journey, whatever the start is? Um, how do you know when you've got to start uh, start start mapping things out for, uh, for for a user? I'd say here we have to go to the keyword research and not just doing keyword research for the sake of it, but like trying to understand its keyword, what is happening when you Google that keyword. Like a lot of times when I'm doing a keyword research, I will actually Google that keyword and understand what is being answered at, and trying to understand as well what is really that the user is trying to to get out of it and obviously this should go then this should influence the side the side structure as well so like this what chris as was chris was saying you're already answering the questions at the top of the funnel but then they're they're reaching to the product pages through the right keywords so this would be my suggestion, but obviously there's probably more out there that we can do. But it's it's hard, isn't it, uh, to 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 map that journey? I mean, oh, are there very many tools? It's it's not just about getting a tool to map that journey. It's that 
every individual, not necessarily every individual, if you want to buy tickets to see Queen, you want to buy tickets to see Queen, and that's what you want to do. But you can still, you know, one person wants them for a wedding present, one of them wants them for a, uh, up in, in, in London, one wants them in New York, whatever. There's still, everybody's different, and their journeys are going to be different. So um, mapping that, uni, un, that, that journey intent, I suppose, or that journey, it's it's a not an easy thing to do. Is it something that, you know, have you got tools to do that with or do you have to use Brain 2.0? Well, I mean, if you're an empiricist and you like data and things to be neat and consigned into buckets, user journeys and that research bit is not going to be the most comfortable experience. I've never, I haven't always gotten on well with that as a process, you know, working with UX agents say, right, here are our six users and here's what they do. And it's like, hmm. I've just been yeah, in you've got GA. The personas, there's far more than yeah. six. Yeah, there's yeah. far more than six people in GA. But I've come to you have to generalize to a point, and there are more sophisticated ways in doing this. Um, I think the uh, if you're not got massive scale, so say you're an SME, say you've only got ten to twenty distinct different products or offerings, actually really understanding who is the ideal customer in each one of those or customers, there might be two or three, and then mapping those out. And I think it does come back to Brain 2.0, but a lot of tools now do give intent or estimations of intent. And I would always say, you know, the tools can help scale it, but look at the SERP. What what feature? What are you looking at? If you can see product above the fold. Um, that's obviously people there's buy intent there if you see a map well people might want to travel to a local premises or speak to a local tradesperson and i think um before you even reach for the tools actually do that do that on your key sort of products and your key journeys and then you know get in the shoes of that searcher the example of i've always given is like if you've got a block drain in the uk what's the first thing you're going to do well most people will go well is it my responsibility or not so actually, who who has to fix the water main? And it's kind of. And actually, are you saying that the Brits are not prepared to take responsibility for? Hundred percent. Well, then I mean, the amount of people searching if the, down the loo, you know, if the, if the amount of people searching for is this fence panel mine? Because obviously the winds have knocked them down. I mean, it's it. But again, if you sell fences or you fit fences, really that query, that's your top funnel for that distressed, you know, purchase after a storm, for example. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it's doing that extensive research. It's not putting those keywords on a page because it's got a lot of search volume. It's because it answers the query and you're in a position to answer that. Help the user out. The yeah. User out. yeah, which is fluffy and challenging. Wouldn't we say that, so instead of doing the classic personas here, instead of saying like, oh, we have this man, 25 to 35, broken fence, living in the suburbs of, I don't know, which town in the UK, then we would have Sounds to... Sounds like me so far. <laughs> <laughs> You, yeah. <laughs> so wouldn't we say that we would generalize generalize them as instead of people, man, woman, whatever, we would say problems. So we would make the personas based on problems like this. I think we could get to that this point much better where we're actually solving the problems instead of just generalizing people. That's probably a good way of uh, of looking at it. What I don't like is when uh SEOs talk about user user intent as just four types: transactional, informational, uh, I don't know, um, um, uh, whatever. You know, four different types. And uh, yeah, and 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 you look uh, you look at user intent. I did it the other day. Typed in user intent into Google, and all of the top results, which is all of the brands we know, and I'm sure some of the brands we love, uh, and including Wikipedia, talk about those four or five different sort of things as the be-all and end-all of, of user intent. And I don't see 
any of that. When I start to type something in a search, all of us see entities coming up and and and, and objects. And as you type in horseshoes, and you start seeing horseshoe falls and horseshoe in and horseshoe, um, you know, pass or whatever. So there's all sorts of things coming in there that are totally the, about Google trying to get to a much more granular idea of intent than what SEOs have in the traditional literature, I think. So, but it still makes it very difficult to to map out a journey, as you asked at the start. You know, so you know, I can't see how um, how it is easy to map a journey through, and I, all through my my life of SEO. In fact, before before the internet came along, you know, there was this you know product awareness, product um, acceptance, uh, um, product. Uh, buying and then product advocacy kind of funnel that comes straight out of sort of MBA kind of stuff. Um, and I, but I, I, is that is that true or is that is that not really a, uh, a a thing to look at when you're when you're in the world of SEO? I mean, it's if you're to map out everyone's unique journeys, you just have a bowl of spaghetti. I think it's you know because we're all unique. I think the when I'm talking about journeys, we're trying to map as many as we can or overlay or at least catch the points where people's journeys intersect with your site and you're hoping that you're providing for the most number of those intersects i guess i mean so it's it's so rather than rather than necessarily having the your website completely covering the whole process usually where i then pass off to paid media to say well okay we've got them at the top funnel now let's cookie them have Instagram harass them for a week, and then they'll come back to the site and pick up off a certain call to action or a brand-based search. And I think that's where the, you know, looking a bit more holistic, to use a word that makes me cringe, that that they that's when the channel can work really well in, you know, together. Is that where SEO and then uh, and then PPC based on cookie tracking comes comes into play then? You've got somebody into the website at the start and then you trace around the internet to finish the journey three weeks later potentially yeah i mean i wouldn't just limit it to paid media i'd say crm you know mm. mailing list oh, yeah? okay. downloads okay. and i think yeah. i think that for me seo is still the best medium to get someone who doesn't know about you to the website if you've got the right kind of content you're picking someone that's cold the only thing you know about them is they're searching for the thing that you have the content for everything else you've made assumptions on what that might be but um, that's kind of a unifying factor. I mean, then once they know your brand and they know you're good for it, then SEO the, SEO's job becomes really super simple. Then just don't mess it up. <laughs> um, but the you know the creative from paid media that's that has to do really hard work of getting people back out again. Um, and I've I've become particularly susceptible to like Instagram or or similar marketing once they've got me. I I can pretty much guarantee once I start seeing the ads around a specific kind of need. Give me a couple mm -hmm. of weeks, it'll have softened me up and I'll have probably gone in and purchased at some point. Um, and I kind of, I'm, I'm growing, I'm less resentful of that than I used to be, but it, it can be effective if you have the right message. Um, but it all starts at the top for me, that first interaction, you know, has SEO brought that right person and given them what they need? I had Louis through advertising to me on my phone whilst I was watching Louis through yesterday. So that's, uh, that's, that's very meta, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I, uh, you, you you talked about just before we came on air uh, about SEO sustainability, and I get it now. I get now when you said right, don't let anybody write, don't write anything if you if you don't uh, if it's not important. Is that is that what you were meaning by SEO sustainability? <laughs> 
No, what I mean by SEO or sustainability in, in digital, let's call it, is actually that recently I came to learn how much carbon footprint we leave with all of our campaigns, the content we create, the websites we create, the emails we send and all of this. And yeah, I just became more into it. <laughs> so that's so, what it well, give, give us an inkling of, of, of how that how that is then because i you know i don't think that uh too many people are aware that you know seo is a you know a carbon heavy carbon carbon footprint heavy industry okay i cannot tell you right now because i i, I don't want the actual numbers I, I, honestly <laughs> if you tell me a million a million cubic feet of co2 i don't I understand know. what that is anyway so uh so so no yeah no i had it actually in in how many cars driving a year in the uk pollutes the digital marketing in general but actually, let me tell you something. Google, by 2030, they want to be um, zero carbon something. Yeah, carbon zero. Something yeah, yeah, yeah. Carbon, carbon <laughs> neutral. Carbon neutral. Carbon <laughs> zero. That's yeah, the yeah, word, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. if Google is actually making that commitment, you can imagine how much they're wasting or how much they're polluting and how much it actually happens in the internet. But if you think about it, everything we do online, even this call or watching this video after podcast, anything that we do online... It means that it's being stored somewhere. It has data centers. It has all these things that consume energy and it actually sends carbon footprint out to the world. So obviously we need to keep take care of these data centers. We need to power everything we're doing. So all of this, we need to start being aware of all of it. And for me, when Google said this commitment, I was like, oh, this is a big thing. I guess I guess we're going to all learn about that when our hosting costs are about to go through the roof with the energy uh, increases that are that are happening around the world, and we, we we're going to suddenly get a, a little bit of a, a shock about that. But I still I still maintain that you know doing this uh, doing this webinar now and uh, and however many people listen to this, you know, compared to those people coming to a conference, um, surely uh, the internet has got to be a net improvement on you know marketing you know face to face although i do recommend marketing face to face if you get the opportunity at every opportunity um but and is it really doing that much harm to the environment do you think well if you think about it we're right now we're just the three of us but the internet actually reaches the whole world is everyone sending one little thank you email with their signature, with an attachment, with pictures, with links, with I don't know what else. So that tiny little thing that is for you, just imagine it, billions and billions and billions of them that you think, like every day you might sound like, oh, no, thank you. That that email already is consuming a lot. So it's again, obviously, we don't have to go crazy and be like, oh my gosh, I need to do stop sending emails and all of this. No, but we need to be aware that this is happening, that we're actually consuming a lot through this and that there's actually really easy ways to decrease that consumption. Do you want to throw a few out? Another one would be for emails. That is the easiest one. It's actually when you reply to an email, remove your signature. That's the easiest thing you can do. If you remove your signature, that's already a big chunk of, 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 of weight, let's call it, that the server doesn't have to go through it. Yeah, so it's super simple. Just remove your signature. You don't only need on the first one so that they know you. After that, remove it. No need. Chris, you got any uh, any any uh, sustainability tips here? Well, the I mean the key one I think is sustain so carbon cost of a website directly correlates with its performance from a speed perspective. And I think the I've I've done a bit in sustainability as well and I think the the <laughs> 
most people go into the sustainability route from a CSR point of view and does does our budget align with our need to do CSR in this space? I'm being kind of cynical, but that that is roughly how it pans out. But the thing we found is actually a really good way into it is actually you come in more of the page speed and the improvements to um, overheads on hosting or even conversion rate and the user experience point. And I think that's that's such a key part. So if you're improving a website from a carbon footprint perspective, you are all, it's highly likely you're improving the speed and you're probably improving the user's experience too. Um, and this comes down to like technologies of how sites are being built so that you don't rely on client-side to do all so, the work. So do you reckon it's it's as 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 simple as and not simple and i'm not saying it's simple at all any of this but <laughs> it is it's simple to as simple to think about you know if you halve the half the you know halve the speed of the website or double the speed of the website you um halve your carbon footprint uh, not quite but so i was at one of the uh, an audit that i did a while back i can't tell you who it was for sadly but one of the top 10 sites ranking in the uk if they switched to sustainable hosting would have saved about 10 or 15 tons of co2 a year um now it's not it's not a linear it doesn't correlate linear it's you know half doesn't equal half because there are um you know you've got your big kind of wins and then you've got your incremental gains um but they are very closely related and any kind of performance optimization all of the easy wins it's almost proto kind of principle isn't it you know first 80 percent is the easy bit that onward 20 is the really challenging part um so I think it's, you know, actually, if, if a lot of websites just, for example, just optimize images, you know, WebP or something similar, kind of new image technology, enable it on the server, you don't have to get in and change anything. You can make some really quick gains there, you know, um, optimizing JavaScript, all of those kinds of things. Again, we're going to kind of sideways into CDNs eventually, but, you know, optimizations that CDN can do I oh, know, I think you. we're about to go headlong into CDNs now, because <laughs> uh, I know this, you know, that's one of your pet uh, pet areas, Chris. You know, I mean, uh, talk are are big onto, uh, onto, onto really using SEO on, in the cloud. And presumably, apart from, apart from we can come on to some of the, the, the great UX performances, the things that you can do with, with, with edge workers and stuff, but... Um, but just generally, are CDNs reducing the, uh, the, the the carbon footprint, or are they increasing the carbon footprint? Now that's that's a really good question because there's not a lot of transparency in the space at the moment. In the sense of, it comes down to the data centers and how much they cost to run. And you know, the old days before you'd have um, CDNs, you'd build in two or three servers, like failover servers. So if one server died, it would load balance, it would distribute to another. And those kind of redundancies have typically always been very expensive from an energy point of view. Um, so I, I think five years ago, I would have said, actually, no, if the CDN is giving you an uptime guarantee, even if the server fails, that's probably not good. But the, all of the CDNs are moving more progressively into that in, in that their own distributed networks are becoming far more um, uh, eco-friendly, I guess, to use a sort of a trite term. So they're, they're getting better. Um, I think the, the main benefits of the gains are where it's it's the origin servers having to work less hard. So actually the users are getting their data from the CDN or that point that's closest to them that, you know, you're not having loads of round trips so the users being bounced between CDN origin servers and, you know, all of the various assets are being loaded from all of these different locations. So I think net, improvement will be far greater um but i mean there's it's just you've got to be careful though because again you know anything that's on aws for example we 
don't really know the cost or the intensity behind it all. Um, so I think I think if you're looking on a pure, what's the cost of this data being sent, that isn't the solution yet. But if it's the, well, can we use the CDN to make what we do more efficient so less data is being transferred or only the data that's needed for the shortest possible journey, that's where the CDNs really, um, really benefit. And then obviously we get into Edge. Ayala, did you want to jump in there or shall I just jump in with John's question there? No, I just wanted to add, not only that, it's also whatever they're located, that also impacts a lot with the carbon footprint. So it's not the same, something located in the US, but something located in somewhere in Southeast Asia, for instance. Like a lot of the, the servers and so on in the US, they're starting to move more into the eco-friendly or wind or water solution energy, whilst in third world countries, they're still using can't remember the word, but I think it was carbon-related ones. Yeah. <laughs> so they, 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 fossil they, fuels. Fossil <laughs> fuel, yeah, fossil fuels. Thanks for giving my words today. <laughs> but there's a cynical side of that then that John Moranko puts out uh, in, in, in the audience. So thanks, John. Uh, he said, so, so would you agree then that that's why Google is pushing us to get everybody on board with speed is basically what they're trying to do is reduce Google's bill? So actually, I've been reading a lot about what Google is doing, and it could be, yeah, but... Um, no, actually, I do believe that Google are trying to reduce the overall uh, footprint because they, if, if you see what they're doing in California, for instance, that they have so many problems with water, they're trying to reduce the water to, call their, uh, to cool down their servers and all of that. So I don't think it's to reduce their bill. <laughs> I'm sure it's included. I'm sure it's included. <laughs> it's a benefit I mean, for all of us. <laughs> Google always has this sort of 10 times kind of attitude. And I always kind of feel that Google, whenever they're arguing a point, as, is this something we should do? They kind of try and have three different um, uh, verticals that they're trying to. So, so if they're trying to make it good for the customer and good for Google's bottom line and good for the environment, then then they count that as a, as a triple whammy and uh, and um, and take it to the bank. That's sustainability in the end. If you think about it, like, this is another way you can say it because in the end, uh, whenever I look at sustainability, I'm like, okay, might be a little bit cost at the beginning, might be a little bit more effort at the beginning, long run. It's always cost efficient, always. Like back when I lived in Dubai, I changed from plastic bottles to filter water. The first year was a big investment. Second year, I was actually saving money. So yeah, sustainability is a good thing about it. <laughs> Just bought my wife a soda stream because she was getting those one bottle, these one, one, one of these single plastic fizzy bottles every night. <laughs> Easy, easy Christmas present, really. Sorry, Chris, you were just uh, about to jump in with something. Yeah, there. I, was just, um, I think a lot of what Google are trying to do, sort of on the tech SEO point and the market, they're, they're trying to optimize the crawl. They're trying to sort of reduce their costs of processing, how quickly, how much, you know, it takes to understand what's happening. And, um, you know, to, I guess in some respects, schema JSON LD potentially, does it make Google, make it easier for Google to understand what's in a page to process it? it has to guess less, it has to take less time. So I think a lot of it, a lot of it is, you know, bill reduction. But again, it's, I think there's the, the, the benefits of both. I mean, again, we're coming back to the same point, you know, where we're reducing speed you know, you're getting efficiencies elsewhere because the scale that Google does anything, anything that takes, you know, even half a second longer than it should do, I mean, probably costs astronomical sums sort of over a given year. So all I'd say is just if it wasn't benefiting users too and reducing your own costs in the process, then we could take the cynical leap. I think, you know, they, you have touched upon it. They're just very good at dovetailing efficiencies into very public messaging i think there is some cynicism in there though because uh you know because bing have come out with their their new thing called index now i don't know if you've seen it it's mm -hmm. basically 
I don't know. I'm quite old, and I remember Pingomatic, which seems to be exactly the same thing <laughs> yeah. as Index now. But you know, the idea is that instead of all of the crawlers then having to come and crawl the website and stuff, and you, you know, you you tell you tell the search engine when you've updated your information, so they don't have to come and see you on the off chance every single time, and that potentially has a massive saving for for search engines and 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 carbon offsets. Um, uh, and uh, Bing have gone in. Uh, Yandex have said they, they they're joining in on it, and um, uh, and I think that's it at the moment. Uh, and uh, and Google have not said they're not going to go and do it, but uh, I think that they're. Um, I suspect that uh, they may have some other reservations because it doesn't fulfil all their other objectives in life, uh, um, uh, and it's somebody else's idea, and they don't like somebody else's idea. But it's a good idea, isn't it? Surely, if you if your if your website doesn't change, why would you want um, bots and search engines to continually, um, you know, use all that energy mm. to uh, to reindex the same the same information? Yeah. Well, that's where a lot of the CDN providers are going to are getting in on that as well, because again, if you're Cloudflare or Akamai or Fastly, and you're and everyone's sort of rooting through you, you'll know when stuff's changing as it's changing. And the you know index now and those services, but also Akamai and Cloudflare, they have the ability to notify Google. Google, come back! Actually, this site on a network has had these pages change, you know. And I think that kind of on-demand crawl rather than always searching. Imagine you know leafing through um, you know an Amazon or an eBay or similar for something that may have changed. That's phenomenally costly for everybody involved. So um, that uh, the on-demand services is going to be key i think the, the the reservation behind that is always trust isn't it i mean you know whether it's those old pinging services of old we've put a new page up or i've built ten thousand new links let's ping them all to get them indexed really quickly that is conversely a horrible use of google's time so it's i think it's just getting that qa back involved and saying well if we're going to let people start you know pinging um pages again let's make sure that we only listen to it when we feel it's valid yeah there's there's going to be a bit of a responsibility on the on the on the website owner not to spam with uh with, with messages if you, really. if you give them tools to spam it spam will be done <laughs> i mean i suspect if 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 you if you tell it if you if you tell it uh, an, an an index now um every three minutes that your website's changed and then it hasn't the index now will presumably sit there and say no it hasn't and just wait longer and longer mm. and longer each time before it goes and, and checks for you or you may um, get soft banned or something might you yeah soft banned yeah so, uh, do you think uh you know this this idea of uh only indexing on on demand is is the future and something good for sustainability Isla? i mean as we're saying i think Someone said it I had recently. When we when SEOs are given something, we tend to we exploit do. it too much. So it, it could be too dangerous. Like we still have a lot of gray black hats out there that could be like, oh. <laughs> so I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, I think people would still, as usual, try to hack the system and try to use it in their favor. And in the end, what we're trying to do here is improve provide the planet. The best yeah. Solution. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. that's, 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 okay. Let's let well. Let's let's get let's get back to. I mean, honestly, that was a a, a fascinating uh, um, diversion. It wasn't a diversion. I think it's it's very uh, very pertinent to 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 um, to SEO and to to usability and and, and how. Uh, how sustainability and usability uh, dovetails. I think that's not something I've heard talked about in any in any SEO podcast. So uh, I'm, that's 
that for me is is definitely a a win for the podcast. But let's let's head back to um, to uh, UX and uh, and um, CDNs in particular, not from a sort of sustainability point of view, but from a performance and a UX point of view. Uh, Chris, I know that the uh, talk partnership are very big into you know uh, doing SEO on the edge. So just just for uh, listeners you know what is what is seo on the edge um i mean it's kind of like common or garden seo except it takes place on the layer between the the user and the server it's um you know it's, it's taking place on um the infrastructure of uh an akamai or a cloudflare or a fastly um it's applying changes sort of at the at a, the dns level at the, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. kind of i mean some people termed it meta cms it's sort of a almost another way of controlling your content above the content i think the the key benefits from an SEO kind of point of view is um, all of the changes, everything that's done is as if it's coming from the server. So as Google requests it, they're getting fed that straight away rather than, you know, any reliance on things happening at the client. Um, obviously, the other point of view and, and why from an SEO standpoint, we find it really, really useful is you can circumvent most technical issues that might have stopped it getting put in place so cms platform issues or you've got in your systems that don't talk to each other it's like the edge is the best place to have oversight of redirects of you know requesting different resources of logging of all of these other kinds of issues that most people building a website would not really care about or choose to really think about that often it's just because we're super obsessed with how google is experiencing a website um then the the edge is the best place. There are certain SEO tasks that realistically should take place there. There's no point to even do it on the origin. So, so would you would you advocate um, instead of using you know uh, trying to to redirects? Yes, um, JavaScript in, injecting JavaScript so it's server side rendered um, using using Edge. Is that going to speed things up? Is it going to make it easier for a search engine to? Read, understand. I, I mean, all of the above. Yeah, I think the. I mean, it will render a lot of JavaScript almost unnecessary. So the the, the part that JavaScript does when it loads in the client that can take place on the edge. So the version that's getting served is the result of that script or that request or whatever's happened. Now, obviously, if, if you've got dynamic content, you can't get away with having it all server side. Some some work needs to be done in the client, but there's an awful lot out there that takes um you could host your um tag manager container via the edge and you could just load elements in via that for example you you don't have to um have that run in the client there's um you know monitoring tracking um anything that isn't dynamic that doesn't need to change frequently you can you can kind of have it so a quick quick advert for uh, for talk if anybody wants their in links code injected through the edge um the talk partnership of the people to go and approach, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, and they'll speed up uh, speed up everything that the Index does. So, uh, which is the advert for Index as well because they're sponsoring the show. So, no. Isla, do you guys uh, do much on the edge in 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 uh, on CDNs? Um, is is that a big part of your your SEO world, or is it kind of something that you don't have to go to too often? You put me on the spot here because okay, I don't have the answer for this. <laughs> I would have to go to the team and ask them. They're the experts in that. <laughs> that, that, that no, that's fine. But I mean, I, I do think that uh, all all around, though, you know, uh, CDNs have become much more accessible for 
um, for all of us, really, you know, probably, you know, you know, Akamai was quite expensive, really. If you were a, if you're a small, a small SEO, Akamai was a little bit of a, a luxury, but, you know, but Cloudflare and, and, uh, AWS have made, um, have made sort of a lot of those things really, really straightforward. So, you know, I think it is getting easier to use, uh, those kind of ideas, but it's still, it's still a big leap, I guess, from a, an SEO on their first on their first week is probably not going to get into uh, into, into CDNs, but you know we'll, we'll get them on content first. So let's get on to content <laughs> then, and do that as the very last thing before we go. Um, as as you know, as we, we, we're talking about UX and we're, we've talked about intent and trying to get somebody to answer the uh, to trying to answer a problem, as 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 you put it, Ayla. Um, you know what we're trying to do is try and answer a problem for a for a, for a user. Um, one of the downsides of that um, philosophy for an SEO, surely, is that uh, if the problem is something that can be answered quite quickly, um, does it mean that the the um, SEO can no longer make any money, or rather, the website owner cannot make money? Uh, because you know it's answered. In fact, it could even be answered before the user comes to the website. We've seen so many knowledge panels that that answer the question to the point at which you've done all the work, you've answered all the questions. Google said, "Tick, thank you very much. We'll just give that to uh, to the to the user." Um, and uh, and and talking about sustainability, how's the sustainability of your uh, of your content if it's going to get put straight into the uh, the search results? I'll, I'll put that one to you. That's such an easy question. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Actually, it's something that I haven't encountered. So this is amazing because this is what I really want to, want that to happen, that we start these conversations and how we can deal with this. To be honest, I don't have an answer right now because this is something I haven't encountered yet, obviously. I would say it does give you authority in the matter. So, for instance, if we're looking for, I'm just going to make it up, amicable divorces, what does it mean? And I'm actually looking at how can I, manage an amicable divorce and the knowledge panel already gives me the answer i probably will register that name and the day that i'm like okay i really need help with my amicable divorce because maybe it's not that amicable yeah you're you're, yeah, okay. <laughs> you're not eventually gonna you're gonna not, not gonna look at that on google are you you're actually gonna have to try and find somebody that knows about amicable divorces so yeah, actually okay. i might go to that brand because that brand already gave me the solution once and i may be like oh maybe they, they have more information on that so because google already provided that as the, the, the authority on, on that. So you might remember them as, sorry, and I might cut us up there. <laughs> Brilliant. Sorry, we're on a podcast. You can't mention the cat. Don't mention the cat. <laughs> sorry, there's no cat. So, yeah. So I do believe that that would be linked to authority and providing, you know, giving authority. But I bet Chris has an, an answer to that. I can't say that. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I think the... The the way that I'd suggest it, because there's certain queries that you can ask the question and the answer is exactly enough. So I don't know, what's the time now in New York? And that Google absolutely will always dominate that kind of instant answer type response. But I would say that the vast majority of website owners probably aren't losing out there. There may have been someone who provided that time that did have some ad units that are rightly very grumpy. Um, but most questions... Uh, I don't know, um, come back to the drains example, who's responsible for unblocking this drain? And they go, you are. I've instantly got five new questions. And I think it's almost, it's understanding be, what's beyond that instant answer and trying to cover as much as it can do. And I think that's that takes skills in your content writing, how the page is laid out, the experience of consuming that content, because 
most people say, well, if that's all the queries, just answer that question, be done with it, because that's a better user experience. And that's true. If me as a person, I answer that question, I go, oh, that's fine. I put my phone down and I never search for that ever again. And I think there's, you know, you kind of got to get upstream a little bit and ahead of that end goal and think, well, what is, what is the person, what could the person be doing with that information? And you've got to pick, you know, the couple of the most likely ones. And I think those are going to be ones that, Google is, I mean, actually, Google's getting there. You say, you know, um, who's the president of the United States? Joe Biden, how old is he? And Google knows who he is. And it's been able to do that kind of conversational search for a while. So it's getting there. But I still think that the, you know, website owners if, or content providers need to factor that in when they're actually structuring their content and saying, well, actually, what makes this really good? You know, a decent research piece, a decent long form piece of content. I mean, it may fundamentally ask one answer one question, but it will give so much else within that. And that's probably what Google can't give just yet. Guys, it's been a fascinating um, 45 minutes and I've, I've really enjoyed it. It didn't go where I expected it, but that's that's what I love about the knowledge panel because we go down rabbit holes of uh, of thought, which um, aren't always the, the obvious ones. Um, so I really do appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I'm sorry we lost Helen along the way. David, uh, before I ask everybody, you know, how we can get hold of them, uh, what have we got coming up next week? And, uh, and um, hopefully everything worked out for you can edit out my uh my bits we might have to leave the cat references in yes <laughs> look next week we've got episode 21 uh next week next month next month we've got episode 21 that's going to be on 21st of march at 4 p.m gmt 12 p.m eastern daylight time um so that's um that tricky time zone period where um the americans go into daylight before we do but anyway um that's um a slight uh, aside there uh, we're gonna have a great conversation it's about javascript seo uh, we're gonna have jamie indigo from deep crawl joe hall from hallanalysis.com and nick ranger is talking about time is going to be getting up at three o'clock in the morning for that one she's based in melbourne in australia so javascript seo march the 21st at uh, 4 p.m gmt and they'll probably have winter saving time at the same time. That's uh, so. Yeah, better better make sure Nick Ranger gets it right. Although she will, because she runs uh, webinars herself, podcasts herself. So, no. thank you very much, guys. Tell us how can people get hold of you guys, um, and uh, uh, if they if they want to know more. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. If you manage to get my name and surname right, you can find me there. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna have to do this again then. Okay, so it's Isla is spelled A I A L A, and then. Ikaza is I C A Z A, and my pronunciation is uh, is is really uh, not ideal. So, no. brilliant. Uh, and, uh, and so, if you want to Ayla or Reflect Digital, um, please uh, look look her up. And Chris, how do we find you? Uh, yes, I, I mean Twitter is my my place of residence. It's um, uh, Chris Green SEO, um, bit self explanatory. Uh, or failing that, talkpartnership.com. Talk spelled as in applying talk not talking and if uh, and if you don't want it for seo he's very good at skipping as well i've just realized I've done also. <laughs> uh, <laughs> guys thank you very much for coming on uh, i really appreciate it thanks for coming on to the knowledge panel and uh, see you again in cyberspace <laughs>